The role of tech lead is a combination of software engineer, project manager, and architect. A tech lead might spend 30% of her time coding and 70% of her time managing a project or resolving conflicts or doing planning. In today's episode, we discuss the structure of software teams and when it might make sense to have a tech lead on your team or if it might make sense for you to become a tech lead. And this might be in contrast to a more common team structure of just project managers and engineers and engineering managers, perhaps QA. Tech lead is an interesting role because it's more of a combination of several of these roles. And I think it speaks to some changing natures of how we do software engineering. Jeff Norris is an engineer from ThoughtWorks, and he joins the show to discuss the idea behind tech leads. This is a great show for anybody who is interested in management or who is looking for alternative team structures. I think this episode also appeals to engineers who are looking to transition to a role with more variety. If you're if you're like me, you know, I was an engineer at several companies and I didn't really like the idea of just writing code all day. I wanted more human interaction, so I think tech lead would have been an interesting role. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Jeff Norris is an engineer at ThoughtWorks. Jeff, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you. Welcome. So today we're discussing the position of tech lead. And when we talk about software engineering on this show, the roles that we typically discuss are project managers, engineering managers, architects, engineers, maybe QA. I have only started to hear about the role of tech lead more recently. Could you start by explaining what a tech lead is and how it differs from those other roles on an engineering team? Yeah, so uh, the tech lead is sort of the intersection between three different types of uh, different types of roles. Um, so first, it's a it's a leadership. Uh, so it's about uh, being able to help the team do effective things, be good at things. Um, it's also the intersection of de- development skills, uh, and finally, it's the architecture. And so it's understanding those three different areas and how they overlap. Now is. Is the defining difference between a tech lead and these other roles that we've heard about, like project manager, architect, and so on, is the defining difference that the tech lead continues to write code? Yes. Uh, so if you're not if you're not still developing, I don't think it's fair to call yourself a tech lead. Mm. Now, why is that such an important fact? Well, the the basic uh, the basic part of it is that. Um, uh, well, the way I've heard it described is that uh, current the the currency of the realm is how effective you are at getting things done, um, and if you are no longer able to actually write the software that your teams are responsible for, uh, it's hard to actually have the respect of the team uh, and be effective at doing it. Um, you want to make decisions based on what's best for the effectiveness of your system. And if you can't actually do the things that your system needs, it's hard to actually know that you're making the right decisions. So I can agree with that maybe to, to a certain extent, but you know, let's take that to the logical extreme. The CEO of the company, for example, you know, like Larry Page at Google, or I guess I should say Sundar Pichai, we wouldn't want Sundar Pichai to be writing code at our company because that would be a sign that he's not delegating well, he's not leveraging his team well. So why is that not true at the extreme, but is true at lower gradations of the company? 
Well, so it depends on what your roles are. Um, I mean, each person has different areas where they are operating. And if the CEO was still trying to write software, um, you must be in a pretty small company. Um, but the, the point is that they're not trying to operate in that sphere. They're trusting other people to take care of it. Uh, as a tech lead role, you are still part of that. So you are still a part of the team that's actually delivering the software. Uh, and so as a result, you want to still be able to do the art that you're responsible for. Hmm. So what if the tech lead were to just kind of hang out and do code reviews uh, you know, I don't know, maybe write a test every now and then. Is that enough? How much code does a tech lead have to be doing? Is a tech lead picking features off of the Kanban board? What exactly is going on there? So it depends a lot on the size of the team and the strengths of the other people in the organization. Um, but a good rule of thumb is a, an effective tech lead is developing at least 30% of their time. Um, and Usually, you don't want the tech lead to be critical path for anything important that's happening on the team. You want to make sure that the rest of the team can be effective and that the tech lead is just knows all the things that are going on and can sort of get blockers out of the way. But his goal is to make the team effective, not necessarily to be personally effective. Hmm. So off the critical path, so this is like maybe the tech lead is doing something that is non-reliant is not like uh can't shut down the application if it doesn't get uh completed um i don't know how how do you what's what's the job of an engineer on a team that is that is not doing something on the critical path could you explain that in more detail well so the idea is that you want to make sure that the team is effective um i mean there, there's two ways of thinking about what you're trying to do. Either you're worried about how effective you are as an individual, or you're worried about how effective your team is. Um, and the the role of the tech lead is to make sure that the overall team is effective. Um, and sometimes that means that individually, they'll be less effective than they would have otherwise. Uh, it's the idea of I could either sit down, put my head down and just code, or I could go to a meeting to help make sure that the team is headed in the right direction and that overall we are making the right decisions. Hmm. So we've had this role of software architect in the literature for a while. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between a software architect and a tech lead? Well, so a software architect is one... uh, it's There's overlap, essentially. Um, a tech lead is responsible for understanding software architecture and being able to do effective software architecture. But at the same time, they're still expected to do development and focus on t- technology leadership. Uh, so it's kind of the tech lead has partial responsibilities of the software architect, uh, but they're not, they don't only do software architecture. They're also dealing with the details of the team. Well, so we, you know, this tech lead role, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it has not been around for a while. Did it start getting talked about more recently because of some fundamental change in how our teams work, how our technologies work, or is it just an evolution in how we have been thinking about writing software that is sort of agnostic of of the technology that we have access to or you know what's going on here why did this role crop up recently so i'm not sure that the role itself is a new thing um it, 
everything that we're doing seems like it's been around for a while and we just figured out the right word to talk about it with. I mean, teams have been operating in this way for decades, uh, but they don't always use the same terms for it. Uh, now we seem to be getting consistent about what we call this type of a role. Um, what do you call the person that's doing that intersection, those that intersectional job? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess tech lead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what I mean, you really don't think there's any technological length? Because like, I, I think about, you know, individual employees have have so much more leverage these days because the software that we're using to do our jobs has gotten much better. You know, there's all this visibility thanks to project management software. We've got, um, you know, great collaborative version control software like GitHub. We've got continuous deployment software. We've got, um, you know, great IDEs. All these things are, are really making individual people just so much more powerful. And, you know, I wasn't developing software 10 years ago, six years ago even. Um, and so so it's like maybe there's there's something there to the fact that since we have these tools that we can essentially delegate some work to, perhaps the role of a tech lead, which is less well-defined than uh, you know something like QA engineer or software engineer or UI designer, you know, uh, because we have these tools giving us additional leverage, perhaps the flexibility of our uh, of our jobs can can increase. Do you think that makes sense? Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I, the so I would describe it as the velocity of software development has changed. Right, we figured out how to have a bigger impact with less amount of effort because we're doing things like continuous integration where we get feedback on the, our changes immediately. Uh, it lets us as a team move faster and get our software ready for and deployed to production faster and on a more regular basis. Uh, it's important that someone's making sure that the team is making good decisions. And uh, this role is I mean, whether you have someone specifically in the role or not, this is something that needs to happen. Um, and so having someone that happens to be in the particular role uh, is making sure that this thing that's important happens. Hmm. Indeed. So uh, just to give some historical context, uh, you know, you've written some about your um your past experiences, and you know, I think the, I enjoyed reading about them as I was preparing for this interview. Actually, because it's always enjoyable for me to read about how software development has changed. Because you know, I do think a lot about how these tools, um, how things like you know, cloud computing, for example, or like you said, continuous integration software, um, or um, GitHub, whatever have really changed the velocity. And in contrast to this high velocity, you've written about this large international leasing application that you worked on. It sounds like in the early 2000s. Um, and, you know, I don't do historical stuff enough on this show, but what are the big contrasts in how we are doing software development today relative to, you know, what you've written about 5, 10, 15 years ago the the sluggish pace, the um, you know the the amount of in person work that you had to do. Wh what are the big hallmarks of how software development is changing? 
Yeah, so a good contrast that describes uh, what's dramatically different now versus a decade ago. Um, a decade ago, we were working on a large leasing application, and it was a giant system. Billions of dollars worth of equipment were sold through this thing, um, and we deployed two, three, sometimes four times a year. Uh, and so there was a lot of ceremony around deployment. Um, we made very careful that absolutely everything was perfect. There were two completely different teams doing testing. There were two completely different teams doing performance analysis of the code. Um, and there was a lot of effort that went into making sure that it was right. Um, this team was actually... Um, uh, one of two projects that the um, cruise control product was created for um, way back in the day, the first continuous integration server, um, they basically said, look, we need to build this software on a regular basis. We need to know that all of our changes are working. Uh, we need to run our tests regularly. And so this is, we had the system built that like would run the tests and so we could get continuous feedback on whether the changes were good or not, whether the system was still doing all the things that it needed to. Uh, and so we were doing this on a regular basis and we had a cadence of like, all right, let's get this thing completely ready for production. And then we would test it for a while. And the testing it for a while literally could take about a month because we were doing a lot of work to make sure it was absolutely right. And other people were checking to uh, make sure that everything was perfect. Uh, so there was a lot, a lot of effort that went into making sure that it was it was good. Um, now we rebuild and redeploy on a daily basis, sometimes even more frequent than that. Um, and we know that our changes are going to work because we write tests to prove that they're going to work. We um, we are constantly verifying that our system is effective, it's performant, it's doing all the things that it needs to. Um, I can go back to my desk, make a change, commit it, have it run through our system, and it is in production and customers are using it within a very short period of time. Uh, that was not the case um, in the older systems. Now, how long ago are we talking? Uh, let's see. Um, so I started on that project eh, eight or nine years ago, and that had already been running for a few years. Uh, now, that system, that the company that it's for still prefers to um, behave in that manner. And so uh, they still release three, four times a year, and there's still a decent amount of ceremony around it. Uh, mm -hmm. Now they don't have to, now you don't have to all show up on site. They've got it down to you run a script and the deployment's finished, uh, which is a lot better than it was before. Uh, but they're still kind of operating in that manner. Um, so there are still companies out there that are doing it in the old way. Now, are they doing it the old way? Like, is it well-reasoned? Are they like, you know, we, we really need to go slower, or be more deliberate? Because, I mean, I, th I think this is actually something that's kind of counterintuitive where, the you know, you have a continuous deployment thing in place uh, you start you start moving faster. To my mind, it's actually it's actually often safer um, for those types of organizations because inevitably something will go wrong, and because the cadence of the the product development is much faster, it's easier to fix things. Um, so I mean, are, you know, are these products that do not have a faster development cycle in place? 
uh, is it really by choice or like by well-reasoned choice or is it more out of like conservatism? Well, going slow doesn't make your failures any less painful. Um, and in fact, it can make it a lot worse. If it takes you two hours or a day to put a new version of your software into production and you need an outage of your system in order to do that, um, if you figure out that something catastrophic happened and it takes you a day to recover, uh, that's pretty devastating to your business. Uh, so being slow about it is not going to save you, uh, especially if you don't notice that there's a problem until the users are actually using it in production. Uh, so yeah, people try and find all the problems before they get to production, but that doesn't always work. Sometimes something slips through. Uh, and the idea with going to a more, if you're doing a continuous delivery, where the idea is you're constantly trying to have things ready and available and tested and able to move to production regularly, it's not about just cram things out as quickly as possible. It is about figuring out how to move things at a metered pace and know that everything is working every step of the way. Indeed. So given that we're talking about tech leads and we're talking about the ancestral process of software engineering, what was different about team structure back then? Like you, you mentioned, you know, there's multiple teams that are dedicated to quality assurance. Um, and I, you know, maybe that's uncommon these days, but 10 years ago, I feel like it was not uncommon to have these teams like QA today. It's, you know, I I think, I think Microsoft has totally gotten rid of their QA process, um, which would be totally unexpected 15 years ago. They just have all their engineers now doing QA because you can just write, you know, you write tests for the software that you, that you're writing. Um, So, you know, I guess easing back to the conversation of tech leads, what was different about teams back in the day? Well, it depends a little bit on size. Um, so this team that I that I was talking about with the leasing application, it started with, there were about 80 people on the team when it started. This was a huge project. Um, and the team that I'm on right so now, that's we have- very much not the two pizza team uh, no, ideology. No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, it was split up into sub-teams, but still the point is that, um, that that's not the way most teams are structured now. Uh, most teams are smaller, more nimble teams. Uh, the idea is that they should be able to have an area of responsibility that they completely understand and can be effective in, and they understand where the edges are, and they can figure out how to make effective changes to their systems as a result of that. Okay, so getting back to the tech lead discussion. So let's say I'm a tech lead at a modern software company. What's my interaction with upper management? I mean, we've talked about sort of how I'm interacting with software engineers at my level. Maybe I'm kind of a combination of a manager slash empathizer slash architect slash doing some engineering. But what is my interface with the upper management? Well, I mean, your goal as a tech lead is to try and make sure that your team is effective. And part of that is making sure that you understand what the expectations of your team are. And part of it is making sure that the rest of the organization understands what your team is doing. And so it's inbound and outbound communication. And basically, you want to make sure that your team is 
that that it's well understood what you're doing and what you did. So, you know, one thing that comes to mind when I think about this tech lead role, because it's so multifaceted, uh, there was this um, this episode of Software Engineering Radio recently about developer anarchy, which you may or may not have heard of. Um, it's kind of this idea that engineers, you know, there, there was this experiment that this guy Fred George did where basically he said, okay, we're not going to have any engineering managers. We're basically going to have super flat company structure where the engineers are just going to do everything. Engineers are going to take over uh, management. They're going to take over business. They're going to take over product development, you know, some elements of design. And things actually worked really, really well. So to take this discussion to a different dimension, I mean, why shouldn't everybody be a tech lead? Why wouldn't you just have everybody on the team kind of doing a little bit of everything? Well... All right. So uh, Fred George is a ThoughtWorks alumni. Uh, so he, back when I started at ThoughtWorks, he he was here. Um, so it's kind of cool the history of it. Um, it's not about the the role that an individual is playing. It's about making sure that things happen. Um, have, if everything magically happens on its own, you don't necessarily need to have um, an individual responsible for things. The problem is that people aren't usually able to focus on everything all at once. Uh, And so the reason that you consolidate roles into an individual um, is to make sure that it happens, not that they should have a monopoly on uh, doing those types of activities. So for example, one of the things that a tech lead needs to be able to be effective at is influence. They need to be able to help make sure that the team is making good decisions, and that uh, the, the, dis- the things that the team is working on are the right things, that doesn't mean they're the only people that ever have to pay attention to influence. Uh, they just also need to be good at it. Yeah, you know, I can also imagine there are people for whom this role would really appeal to. Like, I can, you know, just reading about this role, kind of studying it, uh, reading some of the writings that people like yourself and Pat Qua have done around this area, it sounds like a pretty appealing role to to me. Like I worked as a software engineer at several places before I started doing this podcast, and I didn't really enjoy coding all day. I love looking at code. I love talking about code. I don't think I would want to be a in- total engineering manager. I would love to spend some time in the code. But I do like getting my hands dirty in, in all these different areas. And in fact, most of the engineers I've met who are extremely successful, maybe they tend to be a little more monomaniacally focused on the code, the performance of the code, what's going on with the with their responsibility, and they are, they were always better at that 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 extreme focus uh, than I was at, at at those particular companies that I worked at. So, so perhaps there is room for for both avenues. You know, there's room for the monomaniacally focused engineer who really wants to focus on performance and their technical engineering aspects. And there's also room for these people who want to have their fingers in a variety of pies. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, this is not something that all engineers necessarily want to do. Um, if you love to keep your head down in coding, you should do that. And your tech lead's job is to make sure that you can be effective at doing that, that roadblocks get out of your way and you can get stuff done. Hmm. Okay, so talking about 
more about what tech lead does in practice. So let's mm-hmm. take the example of a meeting, right? Plenty of meetings at a software engineering company. You sit down in a meeting in a room with six or seven people or five or six people, however big your team is. There's some whiteboards on the wall. Maybe there's a Kanban board. Maybe there's a screen somewhere. What is the tech lead doing and how, you know, who is, lead, what is the tech lead doing? What's the engineering manager doing in this type of team structure? And what what are their interactions with the software engineers? Well, so it depends a lot on what the type of problem that you're trying to solve is. It depends on how you're trying to fix things. Um, as a tech lead, I don't consider my responsibility to tell the team what to do. My, I consider my responsibility to make sure that the team is able to make the best decisions possible. And so sometimes that means contributing my knowledge to help make sure that uh, we've got the right solution for a particular problem. And sometimes it means sitting back, asking some interesting probing questions and letting the team figure out what the right solution is. Um, And I I think it's important that I know which situation I'm in at the time Um, and whether it's more important for me to step forward and pick up the whiteboard marker or if it's more important for me to sit back and watch the team do a great job. Hmm. So generally at uh, in a software engineering team, the manager is responsible for defusing problems, for empathizing with people, um, for smashing conflicts before they get out of control. My sense is that a tech lead has some of this responsibility uh, at a team that uses, that has tech leads, um, maybe you could talk some about that, like the conflict resolution process or the empathizing process and what a tech lead is supposed to do in contrast to a manager when it comes to this. Sure. Um, so I think it's completely fair that um, tech leads tell the team what to do, but I also think that it is something that you should reserve for situations where it really matters. Uh, and so you should figure out whether it's one of those situations. Um, and essentially, every time you tell the team you need to do something a certain way, you're using up some of your political capital. You are um, telling them to do something that they don't necessarily want to do. If you can lead them in the right direction and they can make a decision on their own, that's a much better uh situation to be in for the team uh, because you want the team to be self-sustaining. You want them to be able to make the right decision, whether you happen to be sitting in the room or pairing with them or uh, involved at all. You want to make sure that they know how to make the right decisions on their own. Uh, And so the more decisions that you make, uh, the less they figure out how to do on their own. Uh, And so my general rule of thumb on this is uh, if the team's solution is good enough, even if it's not what I would do in the situation, I should probably step back and let them do it because they're probably making a good decision and anything that's not exactly what I want, they're probably going to go through it and figure out um, what the best solution is. And it may completely not be what I think they, where they think they should go. It may actually be something better than I w- what I was thinking. Hmm. Well, how much time should a tech lead spend writing code? I think a good rule of thumb is about a, a 30% of your time. Um, and that's because if you're spending much less than that, it's too easy to get separated from what your system's actually doing. Uh, you want to know the hi- history of how your system got to the way, the way where it is. You want to know what are the important things that are happening now. You want to know how to support it and how to make sure that the system is running effectively. Um, 
the more you get removed from the actual building of your systems, uh, the harder it is to actually understand what the system is doing. So can you give a little bit of your tech lead experience and practice maybe what you are, what you have done as a tech lead most recently and sort of how you implemented the rules of thumb that we're talking about? Sure. Um, so I can talk about my team right now. Um, I'm on the Snap CI team at ThoughtWorks. And um, t- let's see, this week, um, since we had a holiday this week and just came back, it's kind of a short week. One of my teammates who was um, assigned as the L- level three support developer uh, went home sick. And so this week I'm doing level three support. Uh, so I'm the one ho- carrying the pager and responding to um, f- problems that our support team has with the, with the software that we're working on. And so um, I'm sort of filling in what, what needs to get done. Um, at the same time, I'm also spending some time checking with the team, making sure that uh, their goals are being met and that they're sort of doing things that are effective for them for development um, and that their career goals are kind of in line. Um, and I'm also paying attention to some larger architectural things that our team is going through. And so it's a little bit of support, a little bit of people development, and a little bit of uh, long-term development and evolution of our system. Hmm. Okay. Um, so I've never worked at a company that has a tech lead role. So if there's somebody out there listening who wants to get management buy-in for the idea of this tech lead role within a company, how can you go about doing that? What should you say to your manager? Like if you're an engineer, can you, can you say, hey, I want to be the first tech lead at this company? Or w- what kind of advice do you have? Yeah, so... I think most of these roles are something you start by kind of doing the behaviors and then explain why it's important to f- more formalize something. Um, so I think basically you essentially make sure that the team is effective and spend your time helping the team do the things that it needs to. And then you can kind of crystallize what were the things that were most effective and what do you need a little bit more of uh, to make the team overall more effective. Uh, the goal of this is not... Your ind- this is where your, your goals switch from a, as an individual, I want to be effective to as a team, we need to be effective. Uh, and so you start looking at things from the perspective of what do we need to do as a team to be able to be more effective um, and notice the holes that are, that are there so that you can help fill those holes. Hmm. So I kind of would like to talk about thought works a little more broadly because this is where you're employed and you've been there for a while. And one thing I find interesting about ThoughtWorks is that it contrasts with some other companies that do a lot of consulting. It seems to have a better retention rate for strong engineers. People that join ThoughtWorks tend to stay for a longer time in contrast to other consulting places I've seen that have a faster revolving door what has kept you at ThoughtWorks for a while? Well, so for me, the big thing that keeps me at ThoughtWorks is I love the people. I feel like I am always learning. I'm always growing. Um, I get to work with some amazing people, and I love that. That keeps me coming back. Hmm. Is there something about like the like I get the sense there's kind of like an academic environment at ThoughtWorks, or there's a very 
I don't know how to say it. Like, I mean, you read blog posts all the time about like some blog post gets goes trending on Hacker News, and it's like some post on you know on a ThoughtWorks blog or on a Martin Fowler blog. Martin Fowler, I think, is one of the founders of ThoughtWorks, or was started. He was there early on, um, and you get the sense that there is like kind of a thought leadership or um, really a philosophical uh, pace setting at ThoughtWorks. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I think it's actually a little inverted from where what most other organizations would think about. It's not that um, uh, luminaries like like Martin Fowler are telling everyone else what to think. Um, Martin's actually amazing at listening to what other teams are doing um, and synthesizing that and presenting it to to the rest of the world as this is what I've learned and this is a good way to think about things. Uh, thought workers in general are pretty good at listening to what their peers are doing, uh, the, the concrete things that are happening on our projects, um, and being able to share that with the rest of the world. Um, and so it's a combination of being really good at articulating interesting things and working on projects that make a difference. Uh, it's doing projects that are critical to the success of businesses, and it's valuable to their organizations, um, and usually technically complicated. And so the combination of this is really important and my business cares a lot about, about it with this is really hard to fix, you end up coming up with really interesting solutions. And those interesting solutions are interesting to write about. And why does that mesh well with a consulting organization? Because, you know, you, I don't know, it's, it's interesting because like I think of many consulting places as this kind of revolving door, the organization doesn't really stand for anything other than it just does projects like a mercenary, but that's really not the sense I get with ThoughtWorks. I, you know, I did a show a while ago about SoundCloud, uh, SoundCloud's microservices um, architect, their move towards um, was the backends for frontends pattern, and and for this process, they brought in ThoughtWorks, and this is this is SoundCloud. SoundCloud has a robust engineering organization, uh, but they did, I think, they contracted ThoughtWorks, or maybe they, maybe they brought in just they were friends with people with ThoughtWorkers. But um, you wouldn't get that with most um, you know most consultancies. So I don't know what do, what how does ThoughtWorks differ as a consulting organization from other consultancies? All right. So this is actually something that we learned from Ben and Jerry's. Um, so a typical consulting company, they the have ice one cream, primary the ice cream yes. company. Yeah. So they okay. have this three pillars model um, for their organization. And so do we. Um, a typical consulting company is interested in primarily running a sustainable business. Um, and we are interested in that, but that's only one of three pillars for us. Uh, the other two pillars are revolutionizing the IT industry um, and um, advancing social and economic justice. And so we do care about running a sustainable business, but we're also trying to figure out how to move the industry forward. And so that's around making sure that we're that as an industry, we're making good, sustainable technology decisions, that we are um, backing the right horse in terms of picking good technologies for the long run and doing interesting things. Um, and then finally, also that we're we're making this the world that we want to live in, that we are um, advancing people's rights and making sure that uh, the, the world becomes more just uh, through our actions. 
And so I, I think that's a dramatic difference from a more traditional consulting company. Um, we care about our industry and it's not just about us. It's about uh, making sure that the world's better for the people that are graduating from college and may have nothing to do with ThoughtWorks ever in their life. We want them to have an industry that we're proud of, and we'd like to move closer to that. Indeed. So how does, you know, for somebody who's listening who has never done consulting, yeah, I think this, this difference between consulting and work full-time on a product at a company that you are actually employed by, there are some stark differences. Uh, consulting is not for everyone. Working full-time for a company is not for everyone. And there are these varieties, gradations of how you can do software engineering. You know, just speaking of career development, like how should people... Or what would you know? How if you're if you're somebody who's working full time, or maybe you're working as a consultant, how should you? How do those two areas of work differ? And and like for those who have not tried out consulting, what what makes it appealing to you? Because this is something that I've not covered on the show at all, and yet I'm sure there are plenty of consultants listening. I'm pl- sure there are plenty of people listening who are considering going from full time engineering to consulting. So. Um- There's a third category that I'd add to that list, which is uh, contract. Um, And so some some consulting, uh, there's a bit of a blur between consulting work and contract work. Um, And contract work tends to be there's a role, uh, you fill it for a particular amount of time and then you go off. Um, Our version of what consulting looks like is a lot more centered around projects and um, figuring out how to solve an interesting, complicated problem for a client. Uh, And those tend to be, uh, although we have some very long-term engagements where we're working with companies for long periods of time, we also have short-term things where we go into an organization for three months, help them figure out uh, how to get through a particularly complicated problem, how to get a website up, how to be able to uh, capture a new market, uh, how to fix some sort of internal problem that they're dealing with. It tends to be very intense. Um, We need to figure out what exactly we need to do as an organization or as a team to fix their problem. We need to understand the problem. We need to make sure that uh, their organization is sort of heading in the right direction. And then we have to figure out how to deliver on that. And so it's a very quick turnaround from identifying the problem and figuring out the direction and then getting down to business and actually solving the problem and proving that we're making the right decisions along the way by doing a number of experiments where we try something, make sure it works, um, then productizing, get it out to actual users who are who are using the system. And do, going through that cycle over and over again, um, you go through all the f- typical phases of, of a project multiple times. And you do that at multiple clients, one after another, and it's a slightly different problem. It's a slightly different organization. And so you get that exor- that practice of going through something uh, multiple times, as opposed to where you're at a, if you're at an organization and work on a single team for a number of years, you get that one experience um, a single time of the life cycle of that team. Um, we tend to get that that life cycle experience more frequently. And so you get better at it by doing it multiple times. It's similar to exercise where the more times you try something, the better you get at doing it. Hmm. And um, I think of ThoughtWorks is kind of in this unique category where it's 
it does there's consulting but thoughtworks also builds software this is kind of like the i think pivotal has somewhat of a similar model uh and i feel like this hasn't been around for very long this this um type of company where the company builds software and then it also does does consulting um what's like what's the company structure that that encourages that and how do people move between different roles at the company where there is some consulting there's some product development and how what is the feedback loop between the product development side of the house and the consultancy side of the house who are maybe using the product who may be good customers of the product who may be good sources of feedback how is that structured all right. So I I spent my first decade at ThoughtWorks working in our professional services side uh, where as a consultant, and I've spent the last um, year and a half working in our in our studios side, which is the software development where we uh, produce commercial software. Uh, and so I've got experience on both sides of both sides of the organization. Um, as the software side, the um, the side where we're building so- the studio side. Uh, what we're doing is building tools that um, we're proud to use, uh, things that help make software development more effective. Uh, and so it's about doing things to f- that make our industry work a little bit better and solving problems that we think are pretty universal. Um, things like, all right, how do I effectively build and test my software? How do I get into production? Uh, we also have a Mingle product, which is um, tra- about tra- planning and tracking uh, your software development. It's about ad- um, figuring out how to run your teams effectively and helping the teams um, get rid of the friction that, help- that stops teams from being able to be effective. For us, it's about tools that make software development better. Um, all the things that we're involved in are pretty much one directly involved in software development. All right. Well, I think that's a great place to close off. Uh, Jeff, we've talked about tech leads. We've talked about consulting and ThoughtWorks. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to add about maybe resources where people can find out about tech leadership or anything similar? Yeah. So um, if you're just learning about tech leadership, I recommend you get um, Pat Kwa's book. uh, That's uh, KUA and it's I believe it's uh, talking with tech leads. Um, I can che- we can check the name, but um, there uh, Pequa has a, a number of great resources um, talking about tech leadership. If you're just getting getting used to it and understanding what uh, about the topic. Great. Well, Jeff Norris, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been a pleasure talking to you. All right, great. It's great talking with you. Thanks to Symphono for sponsoring Software Engineering Daily. Symphono is a custom engineering shop where senior engineers tackle big tech challenges while learning from each other. Check it out at symphono.com slash sedaily. That's S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-O dot com slash sedaily. Thanks again, Symphono. Wow.